Welcome to the Localization Fireside Chat. I'm Robin Ayoub, your host. Join me for captivating conversations with industry leaders exploring localization, translation, and global communication. Ignite your curiosity as we expand your horizons through these conversations. So let's dive in together into the Localization Fireside Chat. Good morning, everybody. This is Robin Ayub from the Localization Fireside Chat, and welcome to another episode uh, of recording. Uh, today, I am honored to be joined by Liz Elting, legendary in our business, legendary on our own, and I really appreciate your time. Thanks for being with us, Liz. Uh, for those who don't know Liz, I'm just going to do a little bit of introduction, then I'll ask her to tell her story. It's very, very impressive, very significant to our industry and in how this individual have transformed everything that touched um, uh, so let's go with the bit of an introduction and we'll go from there. Liz Elting is a founder and CEO of Elizabeth Elting Foundation, entrepreneur, business leader, best-selling author, and I can't wait to dig into the book, um, uh, Dream Big and Win, and also a philanthropist, feminist. She loves uh, driving women's issue um, and issues and bring them to the surface in our society. Uh, very admirable. And a mother and, uh, you know, uh, right, raising a family and doing all this. It's not a small challenge. So, Liz, welcome to the show. Really appreciate you being with us. Thanks for taking the time. Thank and you, if you don't... so much, Robin, for having me here. Honored to be here. Sorry, go ahead. No, go no, on. I just want to ask you, like, uh, Liz, um, what is your story? On this channel, everybody's got a story. So we're, we're very intrigued. Uh, everybody tells their story in a different ways. Uh, you know, how did you get here? How did you start? How did you get here? What's your story? Sure. And thank you for asking. And again, I'm thrilled to be here. Um, this is my home, the localization industry. So I, uh, growing up, was fortunate to get to live in five countries, living, studying, working in five countries by the time I was 21. Actually, by the time I graduated from high school, I had studied four languages. So that was amazing. So basically, just to elaborate a little bit on that, when I, I was born in New York, a little bit north of New York City, and then when I was eight and nine, I had the opportunity to live in Portugal, two different parts of Portugal, which was fabulous. And then when I was 10, I moved to Toronto, where I ended up living. Wow. I know you're, you're from my hometown. Your hometown. <laughs> yes. And I love Toronto. And that's really where I spent my formative years. I was there from age 10 to age 17. And, you know, as I was saying, I was able to study four languages. I studied Portuguese first, Portuguese in Portugal, and then French, Spanish, and Latin in high school. And I ended up going, coming back to the U.S. for college. I went in Connecticut and I majored in modern languages. So I, like so many of us in our industry, adore languages. Um, so, and, and you know what's interesting about it? I, I was torn in college on whether I should major in languages because as much as I loved them and they were my passion and my greatest skill at the time, I remember, I thought, what on earth am I going to do with languages? And I know a lot of us back in the day felt that way. Uh, the thing to do was to be a professor or a teacher uh, if you studied languages. And I remember I called up my dad and I said, I don't know what to do. It was my second year of college and I had to make a decision on a major. I said, what do I do? This is not practical. Should I major in something else? And he said, no, just follow your passion and the rest will take care of itself. So fortunately, I got to major in languages. Anyway, fast forward to uh, during college when I lived in uh, junior year in Spain, spent the year in Cordoba, Spain, which was fabulous, and then lived in Venezuela after college, Caracas. 
then when I was 21, moved to New York. And that's when I was fortunate to find what was at the time the world's largest translation company. It was about 90 people. This was in 1987. So way back in the day. And I thought, wow, what a dream. I can combine my love for languages with business. What could be better? So I started at that company. First, I was in production, and then I was able to move into sales. So I got to see both sides. I got to really touch both sides, and I absolutely loved the industry. But I thought it could be done better. This was between 1987 and 1990. And back then, for those of us who were working back then, it was enough to be a translation company. The company that I was at basically um, had two deliverables that we would give work back in, WordPerfect and Microsoft Word. That was it. And um, if we were translating a document that was 10 pages, we would have to tell the client that'll take a week. And then, you know, if we made mistakes, we would charge the client. So, and then there were, we only had a couple offices. We had a few offices at this company. And this was the, the world's leading translation company at the time. So I thought it can be done faster. It can be done better as far as quality. It can be done better as far as service. We can offer more deliverables and we can have an office in every major city around the world. So I kept that idea in my head. And then after three years, I decided to go to business school because um, I thought, I love this industry, but I don't know what I'm going to do with this company. It was a relatively flat organization, 90 people, as I said. And I thought, perhaps I can be promoted once, maybe even twice, but not sure really where I can go. And I think it can be done better. So went back to school, got my MBA from NYU, thinking I would do something more practical. And then I talk about this in my book, so I don't need to get into it right now, but I very briefly tried out finance after graduating. And the reason I did that is I thought I had loved the language industry, but I needed to make some money. I had no money. Um, I mean, no money. So I went and got a job in the proprietary trading division of a French bank. And I thought that was a great way to combine something practical finance with my love for French. Uh, learned very quickly that was not for me, neither the culture nor the industry. So I thought, you know, life is short. Even if I can work at a company with a different culture, I'm never going to love finance the way I love the language industry. So anyway, I ended up quitting after only six weeks. And that's when we started TransPerfect. And okay. at the time, and this was in 1992, and for mm -hmm. those of you who are in the industry, you may remember there were actually at the time thousands of translation companies out, out there. Most of them were started and run by linguists who are, right. of course, enormously talented, much more uh, talented than I was because while I studied languages, I was never at that level. Mm -hmm. I, I had a working knowledge. I wasn't at the level our translators, any of our translators ever were. I could never <laughs> translate. You know, I quality controlled, but... The point is they were started and run by translators. So the translators were so busy doing the translations or doing language work on the projects that they couldn't scale their companies. So I thought, this is my opportunity. We're going to be pioneers in this industry. We're going to do it faster. We're going to have a full range of services and offices in every major city around the world. And we are going to become the world's largest and premier company. And that's, that's basically my story. And we started 
TransPerfect out of that NYU Business School dorm room. And I feel like I should stop here because I've gone on and on and <laughs> no, on. No, 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 that's fine. You're doing very well. I, I love this. To be honest with you, you're such a unique story and sort of line up with um, everybody that I've listened to. You know, we've recorded about 50 episodes so far. So we've talked to about 50 decision makers in the industry and they all have a unique something, a trigger that drove them into the idea to you know, flourish, to be born, to an idea to be born somewhere, and then to make it into a business, to turn it into a business. Which brings me to one of the first thing I read in your, uh, I was just browsing through your uh, book pretty quickly this morning before our call. And one of the things is, as you mentioned, you, you took a job in finance and you questioned, was this ethical? And <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you're right. No, I integrity really is my biggest core value. And I didn't know much about finance, but yes, I was concerned about that because mm -hmm. that really integrity is my biggest priority. I was taught that honesty is the only policy. And I kind of felt like some of the things they were doing might not be both as far as how they were trading and making money. And that was an issue to me. And then, of course, how right. I was being treated as a woman, which, you know, I talk about right. in yeah, right. one of my book as well. But mm -hmm. um, yes, so I thought this culture is not for me. <laughs> you know, it was maybe it was an integrity issue. It definitely was the way I was treated. And then, of course, I mentioned the industry was not for me anyway. And I thought if I'm, I'm not going to change this culture, but if I start my own company, I can create my dream culture. If I'm not happy okay. in this sandbox, I can go play in another sandbox. And that was a big part of my goal with TransPerfect to create my dream culture and to be an I the basically an employer of choice in our industry and ideally any industry. And to put production and sales on the same team. That's a big one right. because that was that's one right. other thing that I felt was lacking at my prior translation company or the one that's I had right. worked. The one I had and, and you know, you know what you uh, you were reading my mind because one of the things, one of the podcasts, I well, actually a uh, little podcast I've, I've recorded on my own, it was around alignment between production and sales in order for us to grow companies. Right, uh, yeah. a lot of people come to me with the idea, oh, we want to grow the company, we want to take it to the next level. First question is, or first request would be, is you know, do you know good salespeople? I said before you get into the sales discussion, we may not, we may need to have another discussion. So what? So we may, may want to go back to your production team and ask the question, are they okay with growth? Are they excited about growth? Are they on board with the growth idea? Because the last thing you want to do is go bring customers in and then your production team says, I'm not ready for this. And for one reason or another, the customers leave the door. So it's not really about finding new opportunities, it's about aligning all together in one team that we got to serve customers. Oh, absolutely. And that was definitely a huge part of my goal with TransPerfect because you're right, the salespeople wanted the business, but there were all kinds of issues on the production side when it was brought in. So I thought, yes, absolutely align incentives between those two huge departments and, and the other departments as well. So everybody is incentivized for the company to grow, um, incentivized financially for sure. And in every other way that, that, that they do better when the company grows as far as opportunity, you know, Perks, mm -hmm. promotions, um, absolutely. everything. So absolutely. Absolutely. I remember one year, years ago, I was working for a tech company, small tech company, maybe 35 employees out of Ottawa. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Ottawa. You've been to Ottawa? I've not been, but definitely familiar. Yeah, you're familiar with Ottawa. So I was working for this company and uh, they had like 35 employees at the time. I'm talking like uh, early 90s. 
And uh, I remember the incentive process they had, and everybody was incentivized on new customers, on customers in general, Amazing. from the secretary or the receptionist that answers the phone to every individual in that company was being incentivized on obtaining customers. Amazing. That's how it should be. That That's perfect, right? Yeah. So everybody wants those new customers. And then, of course, they're, they all need to be incentivized to, to keep those customers. But absolutely. And, you know, whether it's through perks, promotions, learning opportunities. Absolutely. Um, yes. Uh, just uh, travel, whatever it is that, that motivates them. Absolutely. So moving a little bit to the book and um, a dream big and win, which uh, I've heard a lot about it. I've, you know, I've, uh, I've read about it. I've read it, you know, little skim through it. Uh, you know, just to be honest with you, with my schedule, I only had a chance to download it like 48 hours ago and I was able to browse through and, you know, get some stuff in there. Like um, the, before we get into the book itself, why the book? That's a great question. And I love that question. When we started TransPerfect, I remember it well. There we were in the NYU Business School dorm room, which is where we started the company. And I had just gotten my MBA in finance and international business, but I had not taken any entrepreneurship courses, any marketing courses, any management courses, which in retrospect, that would have been great if I had. I, so I was reading every business book I could get my hands on back then, leadership books, all of them. And I didn't find anything quite like my book. So it's the book I wished I had had when I started TransPerfect and over the years as we were running the company. So that's that's why I wrote the book. And I tried to make it a little more fun, more like a beach read business book, more vulnerable, authentic, personal, rather than a straight business book, which you know, there are more of those out there and they can be a little dry. So that was my goal. And I tried to make it funny, you know, add some jokes in there too, <laughs> so just to, to, to make it a fast read. But I think, you know, hopefully it's a fast read for people and it's interesting and that there's some good business lessons as well. Hey, look, I mean, I assume, you know, being on the uh, Forbes list of uh, uh, richest uh, self-made women in the United States, congratulations on that status, by the way. Yeah. Um, not a, not many people can say that. Uh, that's quite the achievement. Uh, you're not, you know, doing the book to, you know, gain revenue out of the book. You're doing the book to help others that's right. uh, and, and support others. Of course, there's cost of producing books, so people have to pay for it. You're not going to put it for free somewhere. Uh, so, no, I appreciate I appreciate that. And just going through the leafing through, I see a lot of wisdoms and they're in bold letters in the in the in the pages, which is kind of make you focus on those. And they're like a lot of you can take a lot away. You can take a lot from uh, from the uh, from the book itself in terms of learnings and, you know, what not to do in some cases and what to do in some cases and how to do it better. And um, I appreciate like the uh, the openness in the way you've shared the ideas, at least from the first few pages that I've read, for a few chapters that I've read. It's pretty cool. And one chapter, it's pretty interesting, and I want to zoom in on. You called it the balance, um, balancing things. You've got you had so many. Like I mean, I just read your bio, and you had so many things on the go. And the balance chapter, sort of like everybody's struggling with right now. And in everywhere we go and everybody I talk to is that multi things that we have to in whatever environment as a person, as a human being you're dealing with today, there's many things that people are dealing with. How did you manage this? And, and you concluded a lot of lessons out of it that you put them in a book. 
I did. And yes, it was, it's tough to balance now. And it was tough to balance back then. I feel like now it's harder than it was in some ways back then because we all have email. We all can communicate 24-7. Everybody can work from home now. In a, so it more might be expected as far as 24-7 hours, which is obviously unreasonable, untenable, not something anyone should do. So that's the negative now. But But the positive now is they're much better family leave policies at companies, uh, you know, maternity leave, paternity leave, I guess, parental leave. And that's very important, certainly when you have children and that it's critical, you know, that's critical. And the other thing for women that's wonderful is there are so many women's groups out there, so many networking groups, support groups, uh, that we didn't have anything like that. In That's the what I was going to say. Like, I mean, you built a company. You, this is the world's largest company at the time. And you've had so much responsibilities. You still have kids to bring up and family to, to, to take care of. Yes. So how, you know, this is yeah. where the, the, the rubber hits the road, kind mm-hmm. of, so to speak, as to how do you pull it all together and don't let any of this fall apart because they're all important. No, you're right. And that's sort of the concept of, you're juggling. We're all juggling things and they're there, but, but some of the balls are glass balls, right? And you don't want any of the glass balls to fall, you know, cause there are a couple other balls, a bunch of other balls will, will fall, but don't drop the glass balls. So <clears throat> trying to figure out what is super important. What do must I pay attention to at a given moment? Because the whole time you're running a company or, or in any position at a company, you, and bringing up kids, it's a, it's a juggling act. So I think it's hard for everyone. It was certainly challenging for me. I mean, as far as some of the lessons I learned, I I learned that you must have a great backup to take over for you when you're out on parental leave. Um, Someone you completely trust, someone who can do your job. I mean, succession planning, whether you have kids or not, you need it for every position in your company. And I remember that was a big issue to me at TransPerfect. I used to talk about it a lot. I used to say, okay, do we have this for every position? But certainly when you go through being a parent, um, because it was tough in the early days, I I did not take any maternity leave. We didn't have the policy and I didn't have a a backup for myself. So that was one thing I did wrong. And, And again, you need succession planning in any case. I mean, if you have a health issue or, or someone suddenly quits, whatever it is. Okay. The other thing is great family leave policies are critical. Um, I mean, there are a number of lessons I learned, but the other thing I learned as a parent is make sure you don't just kind of work 24 seven, but not as intensely, but instead compartmentalize come in at whatever time you come into work, assuming you come into work or, or turn on your computer and start work from home, whatever the time is, 8, 8.30, and then be super intense during that time and make it all about results and don't get distracted. And then, of course, have your turnoff time or your walk out the door time, whatever it is, 5, 5.30, 6, 6.30, 7, I don't know. But And then make it all about everything outside of work, um, you know, your family, your kids, of course, and the same thing on weekends. And if you can take all complete weekends off, wonderful, do it. Yep. And I think it's just about being super intense because people who don't have families or don't have a lot going on outside of work that yep. they want to pursue, they might just stretch out the day, but that's no way to live. It's no way for you, for any of us to live. And it's also none of, it's not a way for your employees to want to 
work at your company. They will not be motivated if they see you doing that, if they see your boss doing that. They will think, wow, I'm not sure I want to stay at this company if that's what I'm going to have to do as I go through my life, my parenting time and everything else. So I think it's very motivational to compartmentalize both for yourself and your team. That's right. Now, uh, the title of the book, it feels to me that is describing you like I'm looking at the book and I'm looking at the title. I'm looking at you. I'm listening to you. And it sounds like it's describing you to the T. You dreamt big. You won big. And so the question is for from everybody who's listening to this is, can I do this? Can I duplicate or replicate what Liz Elting has done in her life, especially for those entrepreneurs or for those individuals who are not yet entrepreneurs, but they do have this spirit somewhere percolating and they have some ideas. And I see some people like they have ideas and they're probably afraid or they have some apprehension on, you know, um, taking the leap of faith and, and jumping forward, you've done this. Uh, what is your advice? How do you advise to those individuals who's got some something they want to achieve, something bigger? It feels in their heart. It's bigger than they currently doing, but they want to do something big. What's your what's your advice? Right. Well, I, I say if I can do it, you can do it. If I can do it, anybody can do it because I never, <clears throat> like I was never walking around thinking, I can accomplish more than anybody else. I, I had plenty of insecurities, so much that went wrong. I was definitely, you know, underconfident about this, nervous about this. I was afraid. I certainly was. I was afraid when I abandoned that job, when I resigned from that job, even it was after only six weeks, I had just gotten my MBA and I thought, I'm just throwing that in the garbage and starting from nothing out of a dorm room. And I recommend people do something like that if they have the desire and of course, you know, an idea. And the idea, as I say, does not have to be anything entirely new. You do not confuse being an entrepreneur with being an inventor. You can create, you can be still be wildly successful without creating anything new. It's just more look at what's being done, look at the gap that's out there and you know what could be done differently and better and then go for it. And I think it's a risk not to do it if it's on your mind, if it's in your heart. And so I say, take the risk, take the risk and go for it. And you will learn, you will meet people through the experience and it's so worthwhile. It really is. And, you know, I, so I just say, go for it. You know, if I can do it, you can too. I really love the idea. Like you don't need to be an inventor, an entrepreneur or, or somebody who has got that desire. They don't need to invent a brand new product. You're absolutely correct, Liz, because a lot of people think that I'm going to create that unique product that's going to make me, you know, uh, a millionaire next morning, which is not necessarily true. And especially with products nowadays, people can replicate products. You know, you're unique for the next 24 hours. And after that, somebody else creates something bigger. So it's more of an idea of, you know, taking something and come up with solution to solve a problem, I'm assuming, right? Oh, absolutely. And I, I give the example of Fred Smith creating FedEx. Uh, at the time, there certainly were delivery, uh, overnight delivery services even, but he had ideas on doing it better, faster, more service oriented, and he did it differently. Or Steve Jobs, when he invented or came up with the iPhone, there were there was the BlackBerry out there, certainly, and there were mm. even other smartphones, but those smartphones couldn't do all the things the iPhone could do. So it was taking an idea that was already out there in some way and refining it and doing it better. And then, of course, 
after you start your company, you will need to continue to innovate and pivot based on what's going on in the world, based on you know technology and, or, and the times. And it's important to do that. And you might even find what your original idea was not the perfect idea and you have to pivot, not because of what's going on in the world, but more something that you just identified because you started doing business and you saw right. client feedback, whatever it is, that's okay. It's more about getting out there and working on building that client base mm-hmm. and making them raving fans of you and your company and figuring out what they want and then refining it. That's okay. It's, it's more about just going and doing, because I think sometimes people think I need that perfect idea to get started and you need to more get in there, get started and perfect it as you go. It doesn't mean you can't go in there with any idea. Of course you need some idea to get started, but it doesn't have to be what, what ultimately takes you to the top. That's right. Now, Switching gear a little bit, I'm cognizant of the time, and I've got so many topics. I feel like I want to invite you for another discussion because there are so many areas I would like to cover with you. And I'm trying to hit everything today on certain depth, not complete okay. all the way, but just a little bit. Uh, so uh, from your perspective now, you're not involved, I'm assuming, in the localization industry anymore. You're on your philanthropist. You're on the outside of the industry looking in. Could you give us, your from your vintage point, what is your read on the industry and having, you know, so much depth experience and, you know, not too distant past here, you just um, still to some extent, you know, relatively fresh in your mind. It's fresh in my mind, but obviously I, and I, I want to be useful to you and this group here. I, um, I mean, I, I did sell in 2018. So now it's been five and almost five and three quarter years. So obviously there've been big changes and certainly technology had come in in a big way by 2018, but obvious, and even AI was there and that had greatly modified our business. But I know now we're in a different place and I understand what's happened. I mean, I don't understand nearly as well as all of you in the industry, what's happened with AI in even the last year, as far as how it affects the localization business. So, so the answer is I'm hedging what I'm saying just because I have less knowledge than so many, I mean, basically people in the industry, but like all industries, AI is here to stay. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of things that will change about the localization industry. But in the end, it's about having the best people and providing the best service and continually innovating and anticipating mm-hmm. clients' needs before they know they have them. So it's it's figuring all of that out. And then also uh, delivering on their needs when they've expressed that they need them through your inquiring. So it's about being very close to your clients and close to your employees who are interacting with your clients and figuring out how to continually innovate. Um, I mean... So sorry, I know I'm not giving. No, no, it's fine. I mean, I, I, get, I get your position. Don't worry. But I do feel like there's another question I have to ask on that same topic. I feel like you're telling me that, I, and I don't know. I'm just reading yeah. the tea leaves here. I feel like you're saying, you know, I sold at an opportune time in 2018. I feel like you're saying that. <laughs> well, I mean, again, you. I'm not on the inside anymore at all. No, no, I know. As you know, so it's hard for me to say it was the opportunity. <clears throat> for me. And at the time I didn't even know it because 
I thought I was going to stay in it because my heart and soul was in it. It was my third child, or maybe it was the first of my three children. My, I have two, I have two other actual human babies, but it was my first, it was my child. It was my fam, second family, but it was good for me personally. And now I'm doing things I love, like talking about business and entrepreneurship and philanthropy. But, um, I, I don't know if I should say that just because, again, I'm not on the inside. But, I mean, you could speak better about when you, you think the ideal time is in the, in the industry because you have a better sense of how it's going, you know, on the inside than I You do. know, one of the things that you mentioned earlier, and I and not just for necessarily for the localization industry, but any industry you mentioned earlier, is anticipating customers' uh, needs, issues, problems to solve yes. before they even know they have it. Yes. And I've seen, you know, I'm a technologist by background, so I've seen like the, t the telecom industry heydays and low days, and I've seen the dot com bust in 2000, in 2000, 1999, 2000, 2001, yes. you know, and I've seen people like, you know, do and the printing industry later on. So, you know, a lot of those industries, when they are pressured in terms of revenue, in terms of profitability, what I've seen them do is revenue protection game. So I'll protect my revenue and I just put my hands in the sand and wait for the innovation. What I feel is, and this is me talking here, I just feel like this industry and like the other industries, innovation was forced upon them from the outside. You know, other industries says enough enough. You're, you're either going to give me the solutions that I need or I'm going to go invent them myself. And I keep saying this on this channel. There's there's this example, like it's it's, it's a case here. People talk about it all the time. Uh, this YouTube influencer, I don't want to promote him. He's got like, you know, something like um, millions of followers on YouTube. And he was doing the localization of his YouTube movies using uh, videos, using a localization companies of some sort. I don't know. And then he got fed up with the process. And then he went and opened his own AI company that does the exact solution. Mm -hmm. So the case in point, what you were saying earlier you either come up as an industry with, or as a company, as an entrepreneur with solutions to your customers or the customer's going to be going buying the solutions somewhere else. No, that's so true. I love what you're saying. And that relates to the other uh, view I have on it. Certainly, yes, you need to be continually innovating and anticipating your client's needs and in constant communication about their needs. And related to that, because AI is here to stay and it's just improving, 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 that what we can offer as business people is the human element, the being close to our clients and really making them feel like we work within their company and coming up, understanding their company's needs in a very deep, specific way because they're our client, then talking to them about their future plans and how they right. intend to grow. And then think, okay, so this is what we're going to do for you. And then of course, that client feels like they're your only client. And then to some degree, you can take that and generalize that across your other yeah. clients. But replicate it. Replicate it, exactly. But I think you know the important thing is AI still, it's not close to be doing what a human can do. And people need that human touch. And I mean, I've felt it my entire career in other ways. It was why at TransPerfect, I never wanted, when clients called up, when we had thousands of employees, I wanted to make sure a human being answered the phone. It was why when we sent out letters, I wanted a human signature, not a stamped signature. Now I understand now maybe DocuSign, but still anything that gives that human feeling and then, you know, being close to them and making them feel like you, you are their 
best friend, their family, right. and you 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 care about them and their needs, and you constantly strategize what can make them more successful. It's so key, and that human touch is so critical with AI. I mean, it was before, but certainly it's more critical than ever now because so many people have the technology, including even the client can create it. So then you come up with something else for them. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. Now, one of the uh, big topic uh, I want to allow some time to cover, which is also everywhere on, in your in, in your book, which is very, very important topic is, uh, and you talk about it quite a bit in your book, is women's issue issues in general, like equal pay, um, you know, opportunity, uh, etc. Um, and, you know, part of your philanthropy is this particular issue, which is your championing, which is congratulation, by the way, we all need to be supportive of that. So asking the question regarding the women's issue, if you don't mind uh, elaborating a little bit on your work on that on that topic, it would be great. Sure. So, yes, I mean, I definitely just experienced issues with being a woman when I briefly tried out finance for six weeks after business school. And then even along the way um, in my journey at TransPerfect, whether I was experiencing issues myself or I saw other women experiencing issues and I I thought once I sold, now is my moment to focus on this. And I am such a believer in supporting women. And so I have a foundation called the Elizabeth Elting Foundation. And our mission is actually to support and empower women and people from marginalized communities. And, mm-hmm. and there's overlap. Um, but I, I really am enjoying this work because you know, we need equal pay. We need paid maternity leave and and paid um, patern- pat- paternity leave, but parental leave. Even actually, we we're making a lot of progress, but obviously, we're not where we need to be. And certainly, in the U.S., we're not where we need to be. So, this is a lot of what I work on, and I support a number of different organizations that um, help women and women entrepreneurs and all these types of things. I mean, I can elaborate. There's a lot there that our foundation is doing, but is it's such wonder, it's such important work. And so it's very gratifying. Is there a possibility for uh, our audience, if they are interested in supporting your foundation and the cause that you're uh, championing? Oh, well, sure. I mean, one way it would be great is if they are just getting involved in some way, volunteering or sharing their knowledge, because you know, obviously it's not just money and, and a lot of people aren't in a position to give money, but their time, their expertise is so valued. And I'm a big believer in that um, because that's that's the part. I mean, sure, there's writing the check, but not everyone can do that. And so, yes, absolutely. Um, working with some of the organizations would be wonderful. So they can reach out to me. I would love that. Excellent. And uh, for our audience, you can reach out to the Zelting on LinkedIn if you haven't done so already. And you can Google the foundation as well, and you can find out a little bit more information on how to get a hold of uh, the foundation and contact them and uh, support them. And you're absolutely correct. Uh, money is not everything nowadays. Uh, time is more valuable than money. If people can volunteer their time and their expertise, their advice, etc., on how to fix things or how to uh, get involved in causes that can, you know, elevate and support uh, the issues that you're looking for, that you're looking to resolve, uh, that'll be perfect. That'll be excellent. Uh, one of the yeah one of the uh, one of the other items is I have is um, and uh, as we come cl- to the closing um, we still have about a few minutes here to cover 
what is your advice, uh, Liz, from what you've learned through your journey to, um, it doesn't matter who, young individuals who are going into business now, uh, similar to similar life stage when you got into business, um, and also on the exit side, because you must have some advice on maybe no one to exit. I guess we're not married to the business to the point of until death do us part in some cases. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, it's a really interesting question on when to exit. It's so hard to know the right time to exit. You know, it's, it's interesting. You meet a lot of uh, entrepreneurs now. They, they want to, they're all about raising money, right? Uh, venture capital and then selling in three to five years for a lot of money <laughs> and then doing something else, which, you know, it's obviously not, it's not the route. I took, but the answer is it's a great question when to exit. Um, I think for me, it ended up being the perfect time. But um, I guess it's if you have a certain goal with your company, whether it's to be the largest in the industry or to make the company worth a certain amount of money or just um, to have you know, offices in certain places or just certain, a specific goal, then that can be a great time to do it. I mean, I, I try to find to kind of tricks to know when, but also, I guess, if you get to the point where, while it was at one point your dream and you, you know, your passion and your dream and your goal, and then you created what you thought was your dream company. And then for whatever reason, it, it things change and you're not, getting the gratification that you did and maybe you've made a certain amount of money and you think to yourself okay money is lovely but there's a threshold number you need and then it's about being happy outside of work and and you're not necessarily getting that happiness at work mm -hmm. and, and so that can be the time to do it and um you know i think i definitely got to that point i had more things on my bucket list that I wanted to do like starting the foundation. And now I can really concentrate yeah. on women and the causes. And I, I didn't mention that a big part of what we do is fund scholarships for women. Cause you did ask about women and yeah. I think education is the great equalizer along with entrepreneurship. And so funding both education and entrepreneurship is wonderful, but sorry, back to the question that you asked, you know, help supporting, other people, women, marginalized communities, people who haven't had the good fortune that I've had was definitely something I wanted to do. So that it, the timing was good for me. But yes, I think it's on your bucket list, as I said, that you haven't gotten to it. You know, that can be a reason to, um, to exit your company. And of course, if you think, you know, the industry is at a time when, yeah, Inflection points, etc. Yeah, yes, an inflection point. It could be a good time to sell. And then you can always, if you miss it, go start another company that is doing something different. You still have your network. And I think one of the things I've learned through this journey is networks are more important than ever. I mean, when we started TransPerfect, I had no network whatsoever. I didn't know us all. I didn't know a client, nothing. But now you know, it's a huge part of the whole thing. And that's how I feel business gets done in a way that even more so, and it's necessary, those connections even more so. So anyway, the point is you can always sell. And then if you're not happy that you sold, you can always start another company. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know, obviously there's, as you mentioned earlier, there's thousands of companies in our localization industry that they are owned by 
you know, uh, entrepreneurs or linguists that they started something and it mushroomed a little bit and became a little bit of a company, etc. So the idea is that when you start something new, I don't think everybody is on the same wavelength in terms of their thinking. And when you start something new, start a new company, they're not thinking as I'm starting my company, how, how to sell it. They're starting a company as if they're owning it forever. Yes. And, and that's, I, I feel like at the beginning, it's fine as an attitude, as a, as a philosophy, because you need to build it. You need to passion. You need, you need to be all in on this one, but Absolutely. you always have to have in mind that these, these, this business that you're building, you know, it's, it's, it's got a, it's got a life cycle of its own. It's got to start, it's got to, it's got to hand it over to somebody or got something else in, in the books for it, but it's not, the idea of owning a company for the rest of our lives, some cases. So that's a really good point for a couple of reasons. One of the things I learned is some people are great entrepreneurs, great at starting businesses, launching businesses and getting them off the ground and taking them to a certain size. But does that mean they're great CEOs for the long haul when the company gets to a certain size or, or even that's, that's what their passion is. Maybe that's not the part of it that they love so much. You know, I recently, met someone who in a different industry, he was an architect and he had a, a firm with 50 people, which, you know, it's very hard to get to a 50 person architectural firm. And he got to the point where he said, okay, I built it. It was exciting. I got to a point where it was worth a, cer a certain amount and I sold it. And now this man is 87 years old and he is a sole practitioner architect. He decided I loved the architecture, but being an architect, but I didn't love running a business as, when, once it got to that 50 person point. And now I'm back pursuing my passion again. And I do it for the love of, of, the, of the craft or the industry That's right. to, to uh, you know, running the company. So that, that could be a reason to stop as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you, you hit the nail on the head uh, when you said, you know, you, the idea creator or the idea owner may not be necessarily, you know, the top HR person or the top IT person or top, the CFO or the CEO of the company. You got to figure out where you fit in that in that puzzle. What is your core expertise and how can you make that you make use of that core expertise to drive the business forward? And not necessarily in some cases running the company. Maybe somebody else can run it better. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's many examples of this. I mean, Microsoft, et cetera, they all figure out at some point, the owner of the idea may not be the person to take it, you know, to lead it to, for the future, et cetera. So. That's right. That's right. I couldn't agree more with that. So coming on to the end here, um, I really want to thank you for being part of this conversation, Liz. I really appreciate it. And thanks for joining me. For those who have not yet, you know, looked up uh, Dream Big and Win, a book by Liz Zelting, I encourage you to Look it up on Amazon. I got it from Amazon, but you can buy it from anywhere, I'm assuming. Uh, multiple places to buy the book. Um, it's a great book from my first reading. And I thank uh, Liz for, A, writing the book, sharing her experiences with all of us. I uh, appreciate you coming online with me this morning. Sorry about the bit of a uh, hiccup we had here, but uh, we'll edit that out. And we'll make the episode, uh, um, you know, as usual, good episodes to be shared with everybody else. So thanks, Liz. Any final thoughts before we adjourn? Oh, well, this was such a wonderful conversation, Robin. I loved speaking with you. It's, you know, this is where my passion is, where my heart is. And I, it's really fun for me to kind of feel like I'm back in, in the industry for a moment. Um, so I've just loved this conversation so much. 
I would love to have another one at some point. And I just wish everybody who's listening the very best. If you're in the localization industry, what a wonderful place to be. I mean, the talent, the heart that's in it. It's just, and, and the change you're making in the world is fabulous. And I'm just such a believer. So yeah, keep going in there, doing your thing, dreaming big and winning. Thank you, Liz. On behalf of the audience, on behalf of our listeners, thanks so much for joining me this morning and to our audience. Uh, if you like what we do here, if you like the content that we're providing to everybody, please like, share, and comment on this content. We appreciate your support. Thanks so much. Until next episode, this is Robin Ayoub signing off. Thanks for tuning in to the Localization Fireside Chat. Take the warmth of knowledge and renewed cultural passion with you. Keep exploring. Stay curious. And until next time, this is Robin Ayoub. Keep those global conversations alive.